his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The COVID battle has been, in a word, exhausting. No question, the pain and suffering has been overwhelming. And yes, new variants are deeply concerning. But there is another truth here. We may be close to turning a corner. The J&J vaccine is just now being reported. Results looking good. No side effects. And while you can debate the effectiveness of this new weapon in the arsenal, to be clear... This is a vaccine that can save your life. This week, we go in-depth with one of the nation's top vaccine health experts, Dr. Paul Offit from Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. He talks vaccines, progress in the rollout, and why he thinks teachers may actually be safer in the classroom and why our kids need them there. I think teachers reasonably consider themselves to be essential workers in in this society, and so therefore they need to get back to work, as other essential workers do. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. And isn't science amazing? Yes, we have concerns about the COVID fight, but vaccines are playing a significant role, despite those worries about the variants and the bumpy rollout. Both of those topics came up in our in-depth discussion this week with Dr. Paul Offit. He is head of the Vaccination Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He is also a voting member of the Food and Drug Administration's Vaccine Advisory Committee. That's the group that has to approve a company's emergency use authorization for any COVID vaccine. Dr. Offit spoke to our Peter Haskell, and the conversation got rolling with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine timeline. Usually what happens is they submit, um, and then that that submission is uh, distributed not only to the FDA, but also the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee. Um, And then they set up a meeting of the Vaccine Advisory Committee, but can't do it until it's announced in the the Federal Register. And that that announcement is at least 15 days before the meeting. Um, When we meet, we meet for a day. We go over the data. We ask questions of the the, uh, the sponsor, meaning the, the, uh, the, the pharmaceutical company. And then we make a recommendation to the FDA. They, they usually spend two or three days to consider that recommendation. Then they make their own recommendation. And then it goes to the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices to the CDC, which also makes a recommendation in terms of who should or should not receive the vaccine. The whole process, usually from the time that, that we sit down to make the decision, our decision to when uh, the ACIP then makes their decision, is usually about five days or so. 
The trial showed that J&J's vaccine is 72% effective, not quite as good as Pfizer or Moderna. Some people might say, look, if J&J gets approved, I'd still rather have one of the other two because the numbers are better. Put this into context for us, if you could. Well, so, so the vaccine is 72% effective at preventing moderate to severe disease, which is excellent. It's also highly effective, virtually 100% effective against severe disease, meaning the kind of disease that causes you to go to the hospital or go to the intensive care unit or die. I mean, this is a vaccine that can save your life. And I think like the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, this vaccine can save your life. It's also a single-dose vaccine, so um, it works, you know, with only one dose. You don't need two doses. It's refrigerator-stable, so that'll make it at an advantage for places that are difficult to to ship and store a, a vaccine like Pfizer's vaccine, which has to be uh, shipped and stored at, at minus 70 degrees centigrade, which means dry ice. Um, that vaccine only has a, say, a life in the refrigerator of about five days, um, whereas this vaccine has a, a much longer life in the refrigerator of months. So there, there are definitely advantages of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Again, assuming that when we look at all the data, because right now we're just looking at press releases, that, um, that the data look as good as the top-line data that you see in the press release. Understood. So we're also hearing about these variants from the UK, South Africa, and other places. What is the impact of these variants on the pandemic? Well, well the virus that initially came out of Wuhan and then went into, you started to sweep across the, country, the world into Europe. There was an, an initially a, a, a variant called the so-called DC614G variant that was in Europe and then came to the United States. So the, the virus that we are initially dealing with is actually a variant. Um, there have been other variants now that have popped up, the UK variant, the South African variant, the Brazilian variant, now the California variant. Um, the, 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 those variants have to happen. This is a bat coronavirus that has now made its debut in the human population. It's only been in humans for about a year and it continues to adapt. When it adapts, the question is, is, does that mean that it's going to be more contagious, which has been true for a couple of these variants? Does it mean that it's going to be more virulent, meaning more likely to kill you, and that's not really clear for any of these variants? And then most importantly, does it escape recognition by vaccine-induced immunity? That's what you really care about. And by escaped, what I mean is that people who say been vaccinated with two doses of Moderna's vaccine or two doses of Pfizer's vaccine, still, even after that, they still get sick enough to go to the hospital with one of these variants. That hasn't happened yet. That's what you need to watch out for, and that's when you really need to worry. How concerned are you about that happening at some point? Well, concerned enough that I think we need to prepare for the fact that it might happen. So I think that when these variants pop up, um, like the South African or Brazilian variant, which are a little more worrisome, um, you need to sort of at least construct vaccines that would um, address that issue and not necessarily uh, mass-produce them, but at least get ready to mass-produce them if that becomes an issue. You know, we've been hearing that the U.S. has not been as good as perhaps it could be at sequencing these new strains. What should we be doing here? Right, I, I think the U.K. is much better at the, the sequencing than we are. We need to make sure that we're constantly... Uh, sequencing these viruses so that we can can pick up these variants when they arrive, and and that when when if, for example we can we find out that the uh, it does completely escape vaccine induced immunity that people despite getting uh, two doses of vaccine are still getting sick, 
then we need to to do everything we can to isolate that, those variants and that the, the, the do contact tracing and then also get you know the vaccine ready. But I, I think that's the importance of doing sequencing. While Dr. Offit is definitely concerned about the COVID-19 variants, he does believe that science will be able to improve vaccines to fight those new strains. He remains optimistic about the impact of vaccines approved already and those still to come. But what about the bumpy rollout so far? Well, I think we're learning how to mass produce and mass uh, distribute and mass administer this vaccine. We don't really have a public health uh, infrastructure that was geared toward mass administration. I think we're learning that. I mean, if you look at the initial distribution um, and, and ratios to uh, administration, it was like 20% of, administer, of distributed vaccines were administered. Then it was 30%, then it was 40%. Now it's over 50%. So we're getting better at administering vaccines. Now you have a number of centers that are ready to mass vaccinate, but we don't have the vaccine to do it, which is largely a production problem. So I think we need to get better at mass producing this vaccine. The Democrats, especially some of the Democratic governors, have criticized the Trump administration for the way they handled the distribution. Can the Biden administration really make much of a difference, or is the supply such an issue it doesn't matter? Well, I, you know, I, I think um, the finger pointing gets a little a little annoying after a while. The point is, is to, is to do the best you can with what you have right now. So. Um, although it is true that I think the Trump administration certainly did an amazing job, actually, of being able to make the vaccine. I think what, what they, they were certainly less good at was vaccination. So good at vaccines, not so good at vaccination. But, you know, this is, this is, is, it is what it is right now. I think the Biden administration has to do what they can to figure out how to get a vaccine, mass vaccine administration infrastructure in place and, and, and you know, just uh, look forward rather than backward. How challenging is that going to be? Very challenging. It's. I mean, we we you know we, we're trying to vaccinate, you know, seventy plus percent of the the American population, primarily the adult American population. We've never, we you know, we tried to do that. I guess back in nineteen seventy six with the swine flu vaccine, we probably vaccinated maybe about forty million people at that time. Now we're talking about if we're talking about seventy percent of the population, you're talking about two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty million people. We've never really done that before, and so um, it's going to be hard. I want to get your opinion on the priority groups. We get the 1A and 1B, and it seems like these priority groups are getting so large, the point of prioritizing is losing its meaning. Should we be expanding or restricting the size of these groups? Well, I think when the ACIP, Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices, to the CDC came up with their groups, the sort of you know, 1A, 1B, 1C, which was basically people who are most likely to die, um, people most likely to be around people who are going to die, like staff at long-term care facilities, and then sort of essential workers uh, to keep our society moving. Um, th th I don't think it was meant to be you had to finish one group before you next went to the next group. I think it was just a guideline, really, for how to move forward on this. I think the most important thing is to get this vaccine into many as many people's arms as possible while paying attention to the fact that you really want to vaccinate as early as possible those who are most vulnerable and those who are most necessary to our society. But I think, you know, the lines certainly will blur as we move forward. It sounds almost as if you're saying it would be better if we had a smaller group of people eligible. No, I'm not saying that. I, I think that, that we, we just need to vaccinate as many people as we can. I, I think that uh, 
hopefully when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine comes online, if it does, or the, the UK AstraZeneca vaccine comes online, that should make things a little easier. But I think we need to, to focus on those who are most vulnerable and those who are most necessary to society. I want to ask you about children. In a lot of places, kids are still not back in school. How do we do this safely, get the kids back? So I don't think we need to necessarily vaccinate children to get uh, to get back to school. I think certainly we should make uh, vaccinating teachers a private party. But even then, it's not like we're helpless here. We have masking. We have social distancing. Certainly the parochial schools in the Philadelphia area are largely open. Um, they are well better better off and, and have more, I think, resources in order to make sure that they can put people in the safest position possible. But, you know, we need to get back to school. You know, we... we for many people, I think that, that would would certainly argue that uh, that on-site learning is better than distance learning. For some children, you know, the, the the one meal they get at lunch in school is the only decent meal they get during the day. It's often where, where child abuse is recognized, and I think you know we our our future is our children, and a large part of that is is education. So we do need to get back to school. A big problem in a lot of places, including New York City, is the teachers' union is resistant. How do you, how do you deal with that push-pull? I, I think teachers reasonably consider themselves to be essential workers in, in this society, and so, therefore, they need to get back to work, as other essential workers do. I mean, you know, doctors or meat packers or people who work in law enforcement or people who work in utilities— I mean, anytime you step outside, you, to some extent, take a risk. I mean, there were studies done recently in Wisconsin that showed that transmission of this virus in schools was less than in the surrounding community because, as a general rule, children tend to get infected less frequently and less, less severely. So I, I do think we do need to get back to school, and teachers, I think, are correct in saying they're essential members of society, and, and, and like essential members of society, I think they need to get back. You know, when you... When you step outside, you're taking a risk. Um, the, the goal is to try and mitigate that risk as much as possible, but you're never going to eliminate the risk. What's the latest on children getting sick from COVID, and is there any sense of kids who are more susceptible to any of these variants? I don't think there's any evidence that they're... they're, they're um, well, let me take a step back. I, th I think some of these variants look like they can uh, sort of attach to the receptor of this virus on cells, the so-called ACE2 receptor, better than other variants, um, which, you know, would then make it more likely that the virus could reproduce itself in children than other viruses, other SARS-CoV-2 viruses. But, um, again, children generally are less likely to get uh, infected and less likely to get severely infected as compared to uh, their adult counterparts. You mentioned there's really no need to get kids vaccinated at this point. Are there plans for trials? And at some point, at the end of the day, would it be beneficial for kids to be vaccinated? No, I think children do need to be vaccinated. I mean, any, any virus that causes children to suffer or be hospitalized and occasionally die, um, we, if we can prevent that safely, then we should prevent it. I think about roughly the same number of children uh, died from uh, SARS-CoV-2 this year as died from influenza, and we also vaccinate children with, with influenza uh, vaccine. So I think that what you need to do here is you need to do the kinds of studies which probably will involve sort of several thousand children, not efficacy studies so so much as like as like just sort of immunogenicity studies. So you don't have to prove that it works as much as just prove that it's consistently uh, induced an immune response that's likely to be protective and that it's safe, which I think those kinds of studies can be done much more quickly than the studies that were done looking to see whether or not the vaccine clearly worked.
Are there any kind of trials with children going on now? Yes, they, 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 these trials have just started down to 12 years of age, and I think then we'll move probably down to six years of age and see what, what uh, those studies show. How long will these trials take? I think the trials would take months. I want to get to the big picture. I, I think this is my last question for you. On the one hand, you've got these new variants, which potentially prolong the pandemic. On the other hand, you've got these new vaccines on the horizon, which would shorten the time frame. How do these two competing uh, interests work out? And do you have a sense of how long it'll take till we can conquer this? Well, so I think that, that as long as the, these variants, like the South African or Brazilian variants, don't resist the capacity of vaccines to protect against moderate to severe disease, and it doesn't appear that that's happened yet, then I think we can get on top of this pandemic. If we can get up to, say, two and a half to three million doses a day, I think by the end of summer or certainly early fall of next year. Um, so, and remember, there's a lot of people who've already been naturally infected. We, we say that the number of people in the U.S. that's been infected is about 26 million people, but those are just people who've been tested and found to have been infected. Um, you know, if you do antibody surveillance studies, which is a much more sensitive way of seeing exactly how many people really, really have been infected, you find that that figure is probably off by a factor of three. So there's at least 20% of the population has already been infected. So they're, for the most part, immune. And now we're just trying to build on top of that with the vaccinated population to get up to maybe 70% or so of the population that's been, that will now be immune. In terms of how long until we get to the end of this battle, when you put those two together? Right. So, so we'll build on top of the people who are already naturally immune by vaccination. And um, hopefully we can get, we now have about probably about at least 20% of the population that's immune from natural infection. Hopefully we can build on that with vaccination, get up to maybe 70, 75%, which I think would enable us to effectively stop the spread of the virus. Dr. Hoff, thanks so much for your time and your patience. Is there anything that you want to add that we should have talked about and didn't? No, I think we covered the earth there. So that was that was great. Thank you. I appreciate Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Our thanks to Dr. Paul Offit and Peter Haskell. In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and I are the executive producers. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for 880 In-Depth. Thank you for listening, and as always, please be safe. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 